0: We are currently in the process of building out an invitation-only app where School for the Dogs fans can connect with like-minded pet owners. The app will feature free resources, deals, and access to our trainers. If you'd like to join, please visit schoolforthedogs.com slash podcast community or text your email address to 917-414-2625. Hi to the dogs that may be in the room. If you are listening, that means you are alive, and (laughs) that's that's a good thing right now. So I'm I'm glad to know that about you. I have uh, a lot of really cool episodes uh, coming down the pipeline that I am excited to share with you all. I've been doing interviews with the people who work at school for the dogs and well last week we we i got sometimes i say we because like i think of school for the dogs as like me and kate but then i know sometimes i say i and sometimes i get lost like am i am i am i we? uh i think i think this podcast is i i <laughs> interviewed um anna hayward our apprentice one of our apprentices last week uh that was kind of i guess part of the inside school for the dog series but um I have been talking to uh, lots of different people on our staff and I'm gonna be sharing those conversations just talking to, about to them about how they got into what what they how they got into training and what they're doing now. and um, so that's been really fun. Um, you know running a business through a global pandemic I now know um, is intense and um, I think I feel so so appreciative of, um, of our staff right now uh, of, of I just feel gratitude um, I think you know the intensity uh, and shared mission um, of you know trying to keep a business afloat through all of this um, and trying to you know continue helping dogs I think has brought us all closer together so it's really been uh, lovely to get a chance to talk to um, some of these wonderful people And I am also doing a series of episodes about some of the really cool products we have in our shop. Um, I've been interviewing some of the brand owners, uh, people who have um, worked to develop really interesting things that uh, I am psyched we get to um, share with our clients. Also, by the way, so appreciative of our clients through this period, too. I, I... must say that uh i feel like we somehow have this like self-selecting group of clients uh who've come to us through the years at school for this dog at school for the dogs it's like self-selected wonderful group of people um you know i know in a service business you don't always wind up with clients who you could imagine as friends but there are so many uh clients that we have um that i uh I do think of as friends, friends of mine and friends of the business. They've um, a a lot of them kept their membership fees going even when we were, you know, basically totally closed to most of the services that they take advantage of. Um, Anyway, that was a side note to me saying that um, I have some cool episodes about um, products coming up, particularly next week's episode I'm really excited about. I talked with a bully stick expert Um, And I will be posting that next week. So anyway, I have all of these episodes saved on my desktop ready to uh, post or just about ready to post. But I wanted to this week see if I could (laughs) record some thoughts that I've been having that relate to a lot of different things. And I have like one hour (laughs) before uh, my babysitter is going to need to go home. So I thought I would see if I could attempt to make sense of uh, this line of thought in uh, podcast form. So there's a woman I know who uh, posted this on her Facebook page the other day. Dog people are weird. I confess we rescued a dog from Alabama, and the dog was such a great dog. Strong, confident, happy, and filled with puppy energy. We are not twenty-something parents, and my son is a fresh teen. Need I say more? I tried my hardest with Bryce Harper, number 34. We crate-trained him, taught him to sit, and sometimes come when called. The good trainer from Grateful Pups taught him to be a gentleman. He would sit patiently until I walked through the door, and then we would burst on out. He was bored with us. Walking was not enough. Playing with bones and congs only lasted so long. Then came the shoes, couch, pillows, purse. He wanted to play with my seven-year-old black cat. Mars wanted no part of Mr. Harper. We had to say goodbye to Bryce the dog. We failed. I failed. I miss that dog so much and want him back. The dog organization won't give me an update and deleted our family from the Facebook page. Did I mention the horrific day that I brought him back? He sat in the back looking out the car window and made me stop once and refused to get back in the car. I had to pick my 80-ish pounder up and hoist him into the car. He was immediately adopted by a younger, more energetic family that has another dog. Some dogs just need a dog. I just want to know that he is happy. The weirdo dog people don't respond. Cat people are not like that. Don't even get me started on weirdo dog trainers and think that think they are the female version of Caesar Milan. Here's to Bryce Harper, the coolest dog ever. Please don't ask how my dog is because I don't know he will always live in my heart. Oof, right? There's a lot going on in this uh, post, although it feels more like. A letter to to someone um it's funny how Facebook is kind of like that like I used to love writing letters and postcards to like individual people and now I do it in like this watered down way to everybody <laughs> um but basically she had a dog that she got uh but it wasn't right for her family and she had to rehome it and it was a very difficult thing for her which is completely understandable and it just made me think about how hard it is to rehome a dog and also how how important it is i think that people do that much of the time many dogs have lived in many homes and many dogs will live in many homes and even if you think that your dog is in his or her permanent home you know frankly you could die and your dog may end up in a completely different home you know you might have a backup plan in place I'm not saying like it might be a surprise but fact is it will still be a different home you might move you might live with new people in a lot of ways I think you know I think most dogs have sort of a person they are attached to I know, you know, I'm my dog's uh, main girl, but one reason why socialization, I feel, should be a lifetime process is because, you know, we simply can't know what life is going to hand us, and one kindness that we can, can do for our dogs is to get them used to being in different places with different people if that's appropriate for them, getting them feeling good about lots of different situations so that wherever life takes that dog, whether or not you are in that situation, that your dog will be as as comfortable as possible. But if we think about all the dogs who have lived in many homes, ideally they're going from one home to another in the direction of going towards a home that's better. For them, and I think that's something that can be misunderstood by you know rescues who are picky about where they put a dog. You know, I I know plenty of people who have gotten frustrated that rescues are too picky, um, which you know I'm sure sometimes they are. Um, But I remember like years ago I was working at a rescue and there was like this beautiful, um, sweet young pit bull that needed a home and I told my neighbor and my neighbor showed up with a leash and was like ready to take this dog and the rescue was like whoa 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 you have to fill out an application and there's 30 people in the application and he was like I thought I was offering a home to a dog like I didn't realize that like I might be deemed unqualified like isn't a home with me better than living in a shelter and like I totally understand where he was coming from but now I also see where the shelter was coming from of like Let's make sure that this is the right fit, um, so that there isn't, you know, the kind of <laughs> shelter uh, recidivism. I love that word recidiv- recidivism. <laughs> um, that um, that you know, we're trying to avoid. We're trying to have dogs stay in their homes um, with as much certainty as is possible. But there are, you know, so many situations where dogs are rehomed because they are not in a home that is right for them and I think it is um, it is the brave person who can do that because very often it's it's sad like uh, like my friend in her Facebook post expresses you know this is it's hard to forge a relationship with a dog and then realize that your home might not be the right place for that dog for whatever the reason. And I think anybody who relinquishes a dog to a, a rescue, to a shelter, to, to whoever, you know, is hoping that the dog is going to a better home. You know, it sounds like my friend here had sort of a best case scenario uh, in, in that respect. And it just got me thinking about what happens when people don't make that choice and in situations where they really should. You know, I, I have a family member who um, had a senior small dog uh, who had some heart issues and uh, they got a huge uh, rescue puppy who attacked... The small dog for years, like every day to the point where sometimes the small dog would would bleed and their feeling was they'd made a commitment to be a home for both these dogs and so, you know, kind of like it, it was the way it was um, where I think, you know, in that kind of situation, another home might be better for, <laughs> for, for that dog or at least better for the first dog. Uh, another, another person, not to rat on my family, but <laughs> another person in my family is is always taking in dogs and, and it used to stress me out because I would feel like, you know, taking in a random dog on the street into your home where you have, you know, small kids, other animals, etc. is not necessarily the best thing for you or for the other dog. And sure enough, one time, a dog that, that was taken in killed uh, a bunny that had been taken in. One time, a uh, one of the dogs broke the other dog's back, and the back had to be the dog had to be put down. Like it comes from a really good place of wanting to take in animals, wanting to be a, a give a good home to an animal versus you know the possibility of euthanasia at a kill shelter. But quite frankly, I think there are bigger considerations that have to be made based on you know the people in a household, in a household, their safety, their sanity, what they're able to deal with, and also you know other animals that uh, maybe were in the home before whatever animal you are bringing in. Anyway, there are lots of reasons why people do and don't rehome dogs that should perhaps be rehomed. And there are also people who rearrange their lives in order to accommodate their dog's needs and in order to give their dogs the best life possible. And I I think uh, I won't embarrass her (laughs) when I mention our trainer Anna Ostroff and her husband, Alan, like they are these people. Not everyone can or will go to the lengths that they do to accommodate their dog. Ginger is the sweetest most loving, snuggliest <laughs> dog. Really one of my favorite animals on this earth. Uh, but she really can't walk outside on the city sidewalks. She gets really stressed out. Um, she has uh, she has a, a pretty serious anxiety uh, about being in urban environments. And Anna and Alan have trained her uh, to pee in, And poop uh, In like a closet bathroom They've made for her She basically has her own Indoor bathroom In her New York City apartment They uh, They have an office that they rented that has like an outdoor space so she can be in a private outdoor space outside they go uh, visit their families in the suburbs all the time where she has tons of grass to run around in they go to Disney World on the regular and they drive there and they go to a hotel that has like a special Disney, Disney dog daycare I mean like they go to the extremes to adjust their lives but look Not everyone is going to do that, and, you know, don't you hope, you know, I I think there's, like, a certain hopefulness of rehoming a dog because you hope that maybe, you know, the dog will wind up with the equivalent of an Alan and Anna (laughs) Ostroff who really can be the perfect situation for for that dog's individual needs. Anyway, I was thinking about um, some of these – family situations of mine where where dogs uh, I think were probably in the wrong homes and I was thinking about this one time in particular where I was at this person's house and one of the dogs they'd taken in was like scratching and howling at the door trying to go outside like on the street like all day every day because like the dogs weren't getting walked regularly and you know Every now and then, one would escape and get hit by a car. Anyway, this dog was clearly being like, I need a long walk every day that he wasn't getting. And by everyone in the household, he was being, you know, uh, scolded left and right for being really annoying and difficult and having a problem. And I remember this whole situation happening right when I, I was listening to the uh, podcast, which I love, uh, School Sucks, where he was talking about drapetomania, which I'd never heard of before, which was a a, a hypothesized mental illness in 1851 that this Dr. Samuel Cartwright believed was basically a mental illness that caused slaves to wanna run away like, if the slave didn't want to be a slave, clearly he was mentally ill, blaming the the slave for not wanting to be enslaved. Anyway, I was uh, listening to that while looking at this dog clawing at the door, trying so desperately to get what he needed in life, and my mind was just like, whoa. Anyway... As I was thinking about this drapetomania stuff, oh, you know, the, the cure for drapetomania was um, cutting off uh, the slaves' toes so they couldn't run away anymore. Um, but while I was thinking about this and thinking, God, is it, is it really that crazy to be equating the treatment of uh, dogs to the treatment of, of slaves? And I thought, you know, black people have been treated really badly (laughs) and dogs have been treated really badly. I don't think the reasons are necessarily the same, but then I had this thought, like imagine you had a dog that was like chained to a tree and you just treated that dog terribly for year after year, hit the dog, you know allowed that dog no opportunity uh, to enjoy life caused that dog pain and suffering and offered the dog no way to escape and then somehow the dog gets free that dog wouldn't have to do anything that dog could just sit there looking beatific and you would probably be terrified now, I think there were a lot of white people in this country not that long ago who literally treated black people like abused dogs chained to trees. And I, I wonder, <laughs> I, I suspect that so much of the awful behavior uh, white against black that we're seeing in the news so much right now, like it's it's not new, but it's it has a klieg light on it right now. I think so much of that is just fear, going from one generation to another generation to another generation. I mean, farther and farther removed from like the original, the original sin perhaps, but perpetuated and you know still awful. Like, one thing that dog training has made super clear for me is that most bad behavior, most violence, aggression, whatever, most of it in the animal world seems like it stems from fear. And, you know, as humans, we are a lot more complicated than dogs, but fear is certainly something that we do experience and can uh, lead to i don't know lead to the the kind of um hatred and aggression that there's just um too much of right now if you ask me and to circle back to to positive reinforcement it is kind of akin to so many of the problems in in the dog training world where there's still so much force used so much punishment so much coercion and force punishment coercion that's what slavery was all about is all about i should say there there is still slavery in this world but couldn't it be different like with good dog training it is possible to get your dog to happily do the things you want your dog to do without force and punishment and coercion, and like if only if we can if we can learn how to do this with our dogs, maybe we can move society towards a direction of figuring out how to do things without the kind of um, force and pain and coercion that can maybe lead to better better interactions in the world at large. So, right after I read my friend's post on Facebook uh, about... I saw this post on Instagram on uh, The Cut. In a YouTube video posted in late May, Micah and James Stoffer revealed that they had placed Huxley, their then almost five-year-old autistic son from China, whose adoption process and life they had documented for more than three years with his, quote, now new forever family, end quote. Micah and James tearfully explained that the extent of Huxley's needs had not been clear when they had adopted him, that it was never supposed to happen this way, and that they loved him. In the kindest light, Micah, now 33, and James, 35, were painted as self-meaning but naive parents I'm sorry, as well-meaning but naive parents who had gotten in over their heads. In the harshest, they were fame-hungry narcissists who'd exploited a child for clicks and profit, only to discard him when caring for him proved too difficult. Had they not shared Huxley's adoption with the world, building an audience from videos about... Everything from his medical diagnoses to his food anxiety, they would be dealing with a private family tragedy rather than a public scandal. Instead, the Staufers have been held up as examples of what is wrong with both influencer and adoption culture and what can happen when a child is caught at the intersection. Link in bio for a deep dive into the dissolution. I did not take the deep dive, <laughs> but uh, there's a photo here. <laughs> Whoa, something just fell from my desk. Oh, it was my junk dish. I have like a little plastic dish full of like old batteries and single earrings and <laughs> hair on my desk and now all the junk is on the ground. Anyway, there's a photo in the Instagram post with the Instagram post of this family with uh, four little blonde kids in matching clothes and then a cutout where I guess this one little adopted boy would have been in the photo and I thought it was interesting reading how there were two sides of the story because reading this my personal feelings was the same thing that I feel about my friend with her Facebook post which is like these people definitely did the right thing (laughs) like if if you think you can't handle the care of an animal be it a dog or a kid and if you think they're could be a better situation out there wouldn't you want that for your child but I also recognize that that's like extreme and kind of like an extreme way of thinking and kind of a taboo one because we assume that children should stay with their parents and children should stay with their families but in reality in an ideal world there would probably be a lot of shuffling around and maybe it would be less taboo but i think people who give children up for adoption i mean it's hard to make generalizations about this kind of thing because there's a million a million different situations why somebody would choose to give a, a baby or a child up for adoption but i've always thought it's a very it's a very selfless thing to do because it's it's admitting in some way that there is another situation that for, for that child that would be better than, than a life with you as a parent in, in your current situation. And there's the assumption that you know the family you're born into is the right place for you to be. I mean, at least I, I think, you know, I know a few people who are foster parents and they're always talking about how family reu- reunification is the goal in most of the the foster situations where there where there are families but you know in candid conversations with some of these foster parents I've I've heard them say that they feel that their home is probably a better home for the kid than the home the kid is ultimately gonna go back to the the birth family but that story of uh, this family with the Chinese autistic boy you know it's it would be an unthinkable story if it was their kid right if they had five kids and found a new family for one of them if it I mean if it wasn't like an adopted kid if it was like a biological kid if they were like this young YouTube celebrity family and just decided that you know the the fourth of their five biological kids should be with a different family that's like unimaginable and yet I guess what I'm saying is like it's too bad that we're not <laughs> we're we're not more open about the way that we think of parenting. I think in that um, like family switcheroos are not usually prescribed <laughs> lightly. Although you know, I lived with a different family for a year in high school. I lived in France with a family that was very different than my family, and I loved it. I mean, I loved it in part because. Uh, it made me see my own family's, uh, you know, the the highs and lows of my own family life. It gave me a little bit of distance on that, and it was something completely different, different way of existing in the world, uh, different way of existing with people. So you know, maybe <laughs> maybe family swapping is good, child socialization. Anyway, I I warned you that like I had some weird uh, tangents that that uh, this rehoming dog post uh, ignited in me. It also, as I started to think along these lines, made me think about abortion and choice, especially in the wake of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, the, the fears about Roe v. Wade being overturned like we don't think about someone having a choice about whether or not to parent their child once you have a child like i was saying you know we can imagine a society with a more communal approach to raising a child but the the world i live in is one where individuals don't have a lot of choice <laughs> about whether or not they're going to raise the child that is born to them if they do make the choice, they're not going to parent that child. That is, like I was saying, a very, very difficult thing if, if there is choice involved. Anyway, to bring it back to dogs, I want dogs living in homes with people who are excited and thrilled to have those dogs in their homes. I don't think anyone should be forced to have a dog they don't want to have, and I think uh, no one should have to have a child they don't want to have. I am firmly pro-choice. I think everybody should have the choice about what they're going to do if they find themselves uh, with an unwanted pregnancy. But that doesn't make one also, like, super psyched about abortion. And I think it's another instance, and stay with me here, (laughs) where there is a, a kind of a dog training lesson. Because, you know, if you think about it, there's so much focus on abortion rather than focus like there's focus on the problem rather than focus on prevention. No focus on like how can we arrange the environment and arrange the contingencies so we don't wind up with this problem of some people wanting to have abortions and other people not wanting them to have abortions and all the like craziness that this leads to. I mean I think nobody wants to have an abortion. It's nobody ever talks about that as far as I know. I mean, sort of this unspoken this unspoken truth that I think needs to be spoken, which is like I don't think some people are psyched to be pregnant and then one day like decide, you know what I'm actually gonna have an abortion I think. I mean at least if i polled all the women i know who've had abortions if they could turn back time and rearrange things so that they wouldn't be in the situation where they needed the abortion they would have done that lena dunham a few years ago said something in an interview about how she wished she'd had an abortion and uh people attacked her online and you know doesn't that prove the point that, like, the, the notion that it is something that anybody would want uh, is so crazy that it's, shouldn't, it shouldn't be said? So, like, my suspicion is basically, even if you're pro-choice, you're probably still anti-abortion, but you want that option. What if all the the energy, all the money that went into this war of these two sides of the issue all agreed that there should be fewer unwanted pregnancies, that parenthood should be planned. I've always loved the name planned parenthood because it just makes so much sense. Like, how can you be anti-planned parenthood? What are you, like pro-surprise parenthood? Anyway, I'm not just talking about education, about pregnancy and contraception and all that. Like, yes, that's a given, but Like, what if people were actually incentivized to not get pregnant? I'm not sure what that would look like. (laughs) I'm not suggesting any kind of sterilization. I think people should have the choice to, I don't know, pee on a stick once a month, and if you're not pregnant, you get $100. Like, anything that can help people not have unwanted pregnancies should at least, I think, be free. Uh, But more than that, people should be rewarded for taking those measures. Like, there's nothing very rewarding about using a condom if you assume (laughs) that it's not going to lead to a pregnancy if you don't use one. Like, the reward of not having something bad happen is, uh, in this case, I think, uh, you know, the behavior is not going to be as reinforced as it could be if, you know, every time you bought a condom, you got an entry into some sort of lottery or something. I don't know. I, I guess it's not just about buying the condom. You actually have to also use the condom. Ugh, now I'm thinking about used condoms. Like, see, there's like nothing rewarding about this whole line of thought, but if like every used condom could be traded in for a hundred (laughs) bucks okay all right I admit I haven't fully thought this out and I'm um, I'm uh, thinking out loud here but to bring it back to dog training you know we don't wait for the dog to get food off the counter and then like beat the dog for having gotten food off the counter and then have like an argument about whether or not that was a good idea we set up the situation where the dog is not going to be likely to get on the counter and is going to be super psyched, in fact, about all the things that are not about being on the counter. All right, folks, I think I did it. I think I took a story about somebody giving up a dog named Bryce and (laughs) managed to get to the point of telling you my crazy ideas about how we should incentivize people to not get pregnant, which, you know, I was, I told this uh, idea to my husband and he said that, you know, if you paid people for not getting pregnant, it would incentivize the poor more than it would the rich because the money would be um, more valuable to poorer people, which is true and I think makes this whole scheme sound too much like eugenics but you know what the fact is i think poor poorer people have been much more restricted by uh, much more impacted by abortion restrictions than wealthy people i suspect oh you know also on the topic of family rehoming i wanted to mention that bf skinner in walden 2 one of my favorite books Uh, It's about his idea of what a utopia would look like. uh, A utopia that is run without force or coercion. Uh, He, in this book, makes the argument that kids, like 15 year olds, should have babies because if every generation was only 15 years apart the pressure could actually be on the four grandparents, or not pressure, the the joy (laughs) of child-rearing could be on the the four grandparents who would only be 30, and the eight great-grandparents who would only be 45, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there would just be a lot more people with a vested interest in raising children, which would take the pressure off the two parents and instead expose the children to more people. Like we were talking about the importance of uh, lifetime socialization. And, uh, and I was saying for me the, the impact of having experience living with, with another family growing up for a little while was, was a, a totally a good thing. Oh, so one, one last tangent. Uh, I wrote to this person on Facebook and asked if I could um, read what she wrote on her Facebook page about rehoming the dog and she wrote me back yes Uh, and then I wanted to read what else she wrote she said hey warn your listeners to ask questions what do they want to achieve with training my gripe with school for the dogs is you asked way too many questions when she's talking about when she was thinking about working with us which she didn't uh, there were more questions than when I get my Mount Sinai mammogram yearly checkup. Dog trainers need to make it simple and streamlined, and I don't want to hear about their dog or other client challenges. It's my money, my time. Also, tell them to stay clear of the alpha bitch trainer uh, in such and such location. I don't want to say where. Uh, she works with Caesar Milan, and she tries to channel his Napoleon bravado. Dog people are a twisted bunch and I am done. Hello, black felines. I will hang in there. Thank you very much. So actually two things there. One, we do have like a pretty lengthy que- questionnaire that we ask uh, clients to fill out when they're going to be working with us uh, as um, uh, in private sessions or group classes or or whatever and I'm actually positive that there are plenty of people who like her uh, are put off by all the questions but I kind of think it's a good thing like it weeds out the people who are probably going to be unhappy with our service no matter what and um, you know those people who are looking for the dog trainer to come in with a magic wand rather than uh, looking at the whole picture but the other thing that I wanted to mention and and It's apparent in her post, too, uh, is how, like, so, you know, dog trainers are always talking about how, like, dogs don't make generalizations very well. Like, they're poor at making generalizations. That's something you will hear dog trainers say often. And, like, it's true, but the fact is, like, people are also really bad at making generalizations. Like, there is certainly an evolutionary benefit to generalizing to some extent right like this red berry made me sick so I am going to avoid all red berries like that kind of thinking can keep you safe and alive but the reason we say dogs are not good at generalizing is because well first of all like if you teach a dog how to sit in one room you are probably going to have to start from scratch in the next room but also you know if a dog has a bad experience with a man who's wearing a baseball hat he might decide that all people in hats are bad or all men are bad or all men in hats are bad or whatever but look how dismissive this person is of all dog people like I know she's voting for Joe Biden from her Facebook page and he has a dog Oprah has a dog and I think racism stems from this same, same tendency people have to generalize in ways that just don't make sense. I mean, forget racism. I mean, I just think even the concept of race is based on generalizations that, with some scrutiny, just make no sense. I mean, just even the fact that black people are called black, that that is the shortcut word. Or the same thing with white, really. I mean, aren't we all many different colors? And shouldn't making generalizations about someone based on whatever color their skin is be as seen as ludicrous as making judgments about someone based on the color of their hair? I remember as a kid being really, really confused by that. You know, why why were black people called black when their skin was various shades of. Of Pink, brown, whatever Why was I called white When I had this kind of peach toned skin Anyway I promised you this episode was going to go in (laughs) A lot of directions I think I have fulfilled that promise Uh, Must go Relieve my babysitter Thank you for listening And uh, Oh, exciting news I am going to do a um, a Live Q&A On Tuesday at noon, that is uh, Eastern time. I might try and do it regularly, but going to give it a go on Tuesday, see how it goes. Uh, If you're around, come say hi. I will put the link in the show notes. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, telling your friends, and shopping in our online store. Learn more about School for the Dogs and sign up for lots of free training resources on our website, schoolforthedogs.com.